as we continue Paul's letter to the church there in Corinth. <clears throat> Chapter 7 continues Paul's correcting of the Corinthians for their wrong thinking in the area of morality, especially sexual immorality. In a pagan city like Corinth, many of the converts to Christianity there would have brought with them a background of sexual behavior that was profoundly at odds with God's design, with what God had uh, decreed in this and his instructions. And clearly it was a matter of much debate and disagreement within the congregation as to how the gospel ethics was to be worked out in this context. You know, as, as I studied for this particular message in this chapter of 1 Corinthians, it came to my mind, when you look around, not just in the world, but within the church today, and, and, and not just today, we see that it was also prevalent back then. One of the areas that Satan has so destroyed and distorted is God's gift of sex. We live in a pornographic society. You cannot turn on the TV. You can't listen to music. You can't listen. Uh, you, you can't do anything anywhere without seeing sex thrown in our faces. You know, and, and I've often said that, you know, the modern sitcom has taught us how to laugh at sin. And, you know, when you laugh at something long enough, you'll no longer take it serious. We see within movies and, and, and TV and all of these things that the, the cultural norm is for people to have as many sexual partners as they want, which is directly contrary to the Word of God. But here in Corinth, Paul, he's speaking to these Christians in Corinth, and he's told them time after time after time, he said, what you have done is you have moved away from the message of the cross. The message that Christ came and gave his life for us. And he said back in chapter 6, he says, don't you know that once you have believed in Christ, you don't belong to you anymore. You've been bought with a price. And in this chapter 7, Paul is talking about the principles of marriage and singleness. And, and the Corinthians had had it, they, they had it so distorted and so messed up. But I want to tell you, nothing has changed. We still do the same thing today. Maybe not to the extent or in the way that they did it, but we still get this whole marriage and uh, singleness thing mixed up. And so Paul here is going to, you know, Corinth was a byword for sexual immorality in the Roman world. In the Roman world, when it came to sexual immorality, it was an anything goes. You know, we, we've already seen that Paul has called out the church for, a, for not doing anything about a young man in the church that was in a sexual relationship with his, obviously, his stepmother. And, and they didn't think anything about it. And Paul called them out on that, how they needed to judge it. So, 
Since Corinth was a byword for sexual immorality in the Roman world, it would be natural for the believers there to swing towards the opposite end of the spectrum. And, and what the church in Corinth was doing was they were saying, look, sex is terrible. You need to stay away from that. It's, it's, not, it's not godly. And Paul is going to correct them in that, saying, look, you need to understand, sex is a gift from God. For a woman and a man in the bonds of marriage. And, you know, I, I thought about this this week, and I feel like I need to put it this way. And I hope you understand where I'm coming from. The gift of sex is to be between a married male husband and a, who is married to a female woman. You understand why we have to go? You, it's, it's sad that we have to put it that way. But you understand why I have to do that, right? Because we got people out there now who are women who are saying they're men and men who are saying. So it, it's, it's all messed up, and, it, and it's no different than it was then. Look at verse 1 through 4. Paul says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the, the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So Paul here uh, as the, as the Corinthian Christians had swung the pendulum because of the sexual immorality in Corinth, they had come to the point where they said that, that true, spiritual, true spirituality, true godliness can only exist in a union where sex is no, not a part of it. They viewed it as being evil. Now, they, they, they're kind of taking on the characteristics of a group that was called the Gnostics. And what the Gnostics did, if you read the book of Galatians, that's who Paul is battling uh, in that book. They taught that everything physical is evil. And only that which is spiritual is good. And, and that's just not true. And Paul is pointing that out to them. Uh, abstinence from marriage, they said, would clearly be good. And Paul would have none of this. He knew that you don't correct the excessive swing of the pendulum in one direction by an equal but opposite swing into the other direction. So the question is, what does the Word of God say? Now, the, the, to me, the thrust of what this message is about is this. It's not about sex. It's not about marriage. It's about Scripture. The authority of Scripture in our lives. Sola Scriptura. We as Reformed uh, Christians, that's, that is our, our mantra is sola scriptura. Marriage is not the second best option, Paul says. You had a group in Corinth that were saying, look, if you truly want to be a godly person, a godly man or a godly woman, then you need to be single. Don't be married. That's the only way you can truly be 
a spiritual person. You had another group that say, no, you can be married and still be uh, godly and spiritual, but you have to take sex out of the mix. And Paul says, look, you're all wrong. He says, we need to go to what the scripture says. Uh, the, exclus the exclusivity of one man to one woman within marriage is God's design. And Paul is not saying that marriage is a remedy against immorality for those who are single and are tempted into sexual immorality. For listen, marriage is far more than just a sexual relationship. You know, we go over to Ephesians. What does Paul say there? He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Hey, you here that are husbands, are you doing that? Am I doing that? Are we loving our wives as Christ loved the church? But you see what Paul's saying there in, in 1 Corinthians and what he's saying there in Ephesians? He's saying, husbands, your wife is your priority. More than your children, more than your friends, more than your family. You know how we know that? Because we are the bride of Christ and we are his priority. But he also says, wives... Submit yourself to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, here's the interesting thing about that. Because there are some out there that believe that every woman should be in submission to every man. Is that what Paul said? He said, husband, wives be in submission to who? Your own husband. But don't miss the last part of that. You want me to tell you how you can tell a woman who is in submission to her husband? Paul says, be in submission to your own husbands as to the Lord. You show me a man that loves his wife as Christ loves the church. You show me a wife that is in submission to her own husband as she is to the Lord, and I will show you a godly couple. I will show you God's design worked out in that. And so here's Paul. He's saying, look, uh, marriage is good, Paul says, if God has given you that gift. But there are some who have the gift of singleness. There are some people that God has, has, has done this for. And so Paul is not saying that marriage is, is just a, a something that's put there for single people so that they won't commit sexual immorality. He says uh, that marriage is much more than that. His point is that withdrawing from marriage or abstaining from sexual relations within marriage is not good since faithful monogamous marriage is God's good gift for mankind. Now, there were some. You know what God told Adam and Eve? Go forth and multiply. Okay? So there were some there that were saying that the only reason a sexual relationship between a husband and wife should ever take place is for the purpose of procreation. And Paul says no. He says you have got this whole thing distorted. It is God's gift to mankind. There in verse 3 and 4. He says the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. You see, what we learn from Christ is this. He went to a cross. He gave himself for us. And the marriage relationship is to be a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. And Paul says that when I become a believer in Christ, a follower of Christ, he says, you've been bought with a price. You're not your own. I don't have the right to live my life any way I want because I've been bought by the blood of Christ, the precious blood.
But he also says that in marriage, I'm to give myself. I belong to her now. I don't belong to me. She doesn't belong to her. She belongs to me. And, and, and we, we, we have such a hard time in our culture today seeing it like that. You know, we, we have husbands who say, look, my wife's not going to tell me what I can can't do. I'm going to go where I want to, and I'm going to do what I want to, whether she likes it or not. We have wives that says, no man's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to go, and I'm going to do whatever I want to do, whether he likes it or not. And Paul says, you don't understand. You don't belong to you anymore. Either one of you. The wife has control over the husband's body and the, uh, the husband over the wife's. And in speaking of mutual, mutual conjugal rights, Paul uses a word that literally means debt. It means debt, implying an obligation to meet one another's sexual needs. Now, I'll tell you another way that, 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 that it has been distorted in our culture today and, and in many marriages and, and it's not just, don't think I'm picking on one side or the other here. Both men and women both do this. Marriage is used as a weapon. Oh, I'm sorry, sex is used as a weapon. Sex is used as a reward. Paul says, you got that all wrong. He says, look, you owe it to your wife. Your wife owes it to the husband. And so this is what he's saying here. The essence of love is self-giving. Self-giving, and that is expressed in the physical union of the married couple. What does the Bible say? It says that uh, a man and a woman shall come together. A man shall know his wife. They shall become one flesh. You remember back in chapter 5, Paul talked about that. He says, if, 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 if the act of intimacy makes you one flesh... And he's talking about those who were in the church who were still going out and, and going to the temple prostitutes there in Corinth. And Paul says, don't you know that you have been joined to Christ? You are one with Christ. And when you join yourself to a prostitute, what you've done is join Christ to a prostitute. And the point is this, that we have become one, uh, that the essence of love is self-giving, and that is, is expressed in the physical union. And it is likely, however, that a view was developing there in Corinth that said, you cannot be fully devoted to Christ and still be married. And Paul is saying, uh, his response is to deny not only the division between the spiritual and the, and the physical, because there is no division, okay? If I belong to Christ, it's not that, that my spiritual life belongs to him and my physical life doesn't. All of me belongs to him. You know, in, in the Christian life, there is no spiritual and secular life. It's all spiritual, and, and this is, Paul says they were, they were making the distinction that there was a difference, but he, uh, the, the view that there was, can be any personal rights of abstinence in marriage, Paul says, you cannot do this. He says, because you've lost sight of the fact that the message of the cross teaches us sacrificial love, sacrificial giving, that we don't belong to ourselves any longer. Listen, throughout the Bible, Paul uses the word servant or bond servant in relation to the believer and Christ, but those are not really the good words. The actual word is slave. 
that I am a slave of Christ. Okay, now let me ask you something. What kind of rights does a slave have? What does a slave own? Nothing. If I am a slave of Christ, I have no rights. I own nothing. The only thing that I have is what Christ gives me. The only thing I can do is what Christ commands me. And that's what we are to do. And so we have to understand that in the marriage union, what Paul is saying is, look, you have distorted this whole thing. But they distorted it because they got away from the message of the cross. Look at verse 5. He says, do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one, to, one of one kind and one of another. Verse 5 shows that there is, uh, one, there is one set of circumstances that can be re- regarded as an exception to the rule between, of, the, of the sexual union between a husband and a wife. He says, when you come together, he says that you devote yourselves to prayer. Paul says, when you have that, and, and listen, Here's an interesting thing that I noticed in this for husbands and wives. Paul doesn't say, if you come together and devote yourselves to prayer. He says, when you do it. Paul is taking it for granted here that within the family bond, the husband and the wife, that there are times when they come together in time of prayer. And Paul says that when you do this, he says, neither party is to be deprived because the other has imposed his or her his will unilaterally. Uh, you know, Paul's just being realistic here. He says there in verse, uh, let me find it here, verse 5. He's at the end of verse 5, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Paul knows that unless the limitations of the first half of verse 5 are clearly operating, then the temptations of the second half of the verse are likely to overwhelm them because of what? Their lack of self-control. Both marriage... And singleness. Paul says, I wish that that you could be even as I am. We have a tendency, and and I've seen this. I've done this. We know know a grown person that's single. And we're constantly, why aren't you married? When are you getting married? How come you're not married? I'm going to help you find somebody. And And we do that like there's something wrong with being single. You understand? You know, and, and I remember one time I said to a guy, he was like 40 years old, and he'd never been married. And I said, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and he said, are you married? And I said, yeah. He said, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> both marriage and singleness have their own benefits, and both should be considered gifts from God. Paul said in verse 6, now as a concession... Not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Paul is happy that God had given him the gift of being content with remaining unmarried, since this permits 
uh, single-minded devotion to the Lord's work. Paul says, here's the only reason I say this. Here's the only reason I say it's good to be single is because you can devote every minute of your life to Christ. Listen, when you're married, you can't do that. And if you are doing that, then you're being disobedient to God. You understand that? Because Christ said that I am to love my wife as he loved me, or as he loves his church. And he says that the wife is to be in submission to her husband as to the Lord. The point is, Paul, Paul is saying, look, there's nothing wrong with being married. There's nothing wrong with being single. He said, if God has called you to marry, then marry and be happy. Be content. If he's called you to singleness, then, then be single and be content with it. Uh, you know, in, in this next section, Paul addresses three different groups within the Christian church or the Corinthian church. Uh, and they are, divide, they are defined not by their preferences, but by their station in life. Um, he begins with those who are single, then those who are married to believers, and then those who are married to unbelievers. Three different ones here. Now, now it's interesting that Paul has to address all these different groups in the church when it comes to the, the, the area of sex and marriage and all this. They, they had it so messed up because of one thing, and we can never forget this. I will say this over and over and over. What was it that caused all this distortion? They had left the message of the cross. They had forgotten what that was. All right? Verse 8 and 9. To be unmarried, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, there at the end of verse, uh, verse 9, where it says to burn with passion, that word, those two words, with passion, are not in the original. They were added by the translation, the, the translators. So what Paul's saying here is uh, that if you cannot exercise self-control, that it's better to marry than to burn. Period, is what he's saying. All right. So Paul is, is probably addressing here those who have been widowed and who are widowers. And they were not to be made to, be, to feel inferior because of their state. Listen, every normal human being, I don't care who you are, how old you are, where you are, listen to me. Every normal human being struggles with sexual temptation. And Paul says if they have no self-control, then they are to remarry. He said it is better to marry than to burn. Verse 10 and 11. To the married, I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. Paul is still defending the importance and value of Christian marriage. Some in Corinth believed that being single was preferable because it made you more spiritual. And here in, in these two verses, he's talking about the one who is married to someone who is uh, uh, an unbelief or two believers that are married together. And although the Bible is clear, Paul says that God hates divorce, yet the reality of a fallen world and our human sinfulness is that it happens. 
Okay? It does happen. And Paul is saying, but, but he had these who were, who were believers who were married, and those in the church were telling them, so look, you need to divorce. You don't need to be married. And Paul is saying, that's ridiculous. He says, stop talking like this. Stop thinking that way. Because if God has gifted you in this, he says, it, why would you look at something that you know God hates and then intentionally do that as believers? Do you know why? You ever wonder why God hates divorce? Divorce is a tearing. Not, not, I don't mean it just tears up families and, and tears up uh, relationships. You remember what it said? For this reason, a man shall leave his father and wife and cleave to, her, cleave to her, his... For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his own wife. And the two shall be what? One flesh. So you know what divorce does? It rips apart that flesh, that one flesh. That's why God hates it. That was not God's design. God is one man, one woman for, for all the time. Now, again, because of our sinfulness, the reality is divorce does happen. I know there are many in this congregation this morning, probably many that are watching that have experienced divorce. And, and, and here in a minute, I want to come back to that and, get, and talk more about that. But right now, I want us to look at this. Verse 12 through 16. <clears throat> to the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. So what, what we have here is a person who has married to an unbeliever, a believer married to an unbeliever. Now, in the context of what Paul is saying, you know, Paul says in another place that we are not to be unequally yoked, that a believer should never intentionally marry an unbeliever. Though Vernon McGee used to say, the believer needs to understand that when he marries an unbeliever, he gets the devil for a father-in-law. And so, but I don't think that's the context that Paul is talking. I think these were two people who have been married and then one gets saved after they've been married. And they say, well, I can't live with this unbeliever, so I'm just going to divorce them. And Paul says, no. He says, husband, if, you've been, if you have been saved and your wife has not, don't, don't, don't divorce her. You stay with her. He says to the, to, the, to the wife, wife, have you been saved and your husband is unbeliever? And don't, don't divorce him. Stay with him. And Paul's thing here, he, he's referencing those who are married to unbelievers. And Paul says, if they content to live with you, then stay there. But then he says something that we have to be careful how we hear what Paul's saying in verse 14. For the unbelieving wife is made holy because of the, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Now, Paul is saying, look, if you have an unbeliever and a believer that are married together, and the unbeliever says, I'm not staying here, I'm leaving, Paul says, let them go. 
He says, you're not bound to that. But he says, don't you go. Don't you be the one to initiate it. And he says, and this is where we got to be careful here, what he says there in verse 16. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Now, the wife cannot save the husband, and the husband cannot save the unbelieving wife. So that's not what Paul's saying there. All right. Paul, uh, if God wants to convert the unbelieving spouse to the believing spouse, he will give the the grace and the gifts for that purpose. Over in 1 Peter, let me read what Peter says here in 1 Peter chapter 3. He says, likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, in other words, they're not saved, they may be won without a word by the conduct of the wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. In other words, Paul says, if you're a believer and you live in an, un- if you're in an unbelieving situation where, uh, where the spouse is unbelieving, he said, just live your life in a godly way. And you know what Peter said? He said that they may be one. I think it's interesting he put it this way, without a word. You know what he's saying right there? And I don't think this just goes for the, for the wife, okay? I'm, I was going to make a joke, but I'm not going to. What he's saying is, you're not going to nag somebody into being saved. He said, just live your life in a godly manner, and who knows whether that might draw them to know, to, to know Christ. And so that's what Paul is saying here. Here's the thing, all of us, Every one of us here at one time has been guilty of some form of sexual immorality. All of us. Jesus said, if a man looks at a woman to lust in his heart, he's already committed adultery. Of course, you know that applies to both men and women. But my point is this. All of us have at one time been guilty of sexual immorality in some kind of a way, whether it be fornication or adultery or divorce All of us have been guilty of it. But God is a merciful and forgiving God. We must repent of our sin. If you have been transformed by the power of the gospel, then you need to understand you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, that's what Paul says. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So do what? Glorify God in your body. Paul is telling the Corinthian Christians, here's what they had done. and, And this is why this is so relevant to where we are today. The church in Corinth had allowed the culture to dictate what the church did. Do we not see that today? You and I, we have to constantly be on guard. We have to constantly stand at attention that we not allow the culture to dictate who we are and what we do. I, was, I, I, I caught a video this past week. <clears throat> and the, the, the title of the video is what caught my attention, so I watched it. After I watched it, I wished I hadn't. How should the church respond to same-sex unions? And it was a pastor talking. 
And he literally began to cry and said, look, church, we must understand that God loves everyone, that God accepts you just as you are. Yeah, is that biblical? No, it is not. But that's where we are today. That's where they were in Corinth. They were saying, look, this, this, all this sexual immorality, this is just the normal way here in Corinth. And, you know, I, I've always gone and visited the temple prostitutes. Why should that stop now? You know, I have always had multiple partners in my life. Why should that stop now? And Paul's point to them is because of the message of the cross. You're no longer that person anymore. Paul is telling them that the culture does not dictate how we as believers live. This does. Solar Scriptura. This is our source. This is our authority. If the Word of God says it, we do it. Our own culture, like Corinth, we have normalized sexual immorality. We have made it no big deal. And that's exactly what it was in the Roman world, especially there in Corinth. It, it was no big deal. It was just what people did. It was as normal as just going down to the lake and fishing. That nobody gave it a second thought. And we see the same thing today. We must repent. We must bow at the foot of the cross. And we must receive the mercy and forgiveness. We as believers are called to be different. You know why we're called to be different? Because we are different. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, If any man or woman be in Christ, they are a new creation. A whole new creation. The old is gone and everything becomes new. And we, we, we must understand that we have been given a new heart, a new life, and we are to act like those who belong to the Savior. And Paul is telling the church in Corinth, and he's saying to us today, he's saying, look, listen to what the Word of God says, not what the culture tells you is all right. You know, it has become to the point now, I, I make no... And I'm not proud of this. I'm ashamed of this, but I'm going to tell you. I could very easily be a couch potato. I can turn on that TV, and I could sit there all day long. <laughs> but I want to tell you something, folks. <clears throat> now, if, if, if you come over and you see me watching something, if the Cowboys are not on or any football game is not on, I'll either be watching Andy Griffith. Or I love Lucy, but you know, you can only watch those so many million times before they're no one to watch anymore. But here's my point. Cindy and I have talked about even getting rid of our TVs because there is nothing but trash to watch. But here's the thing. Somebody says, well, you know, all you got to do is just, just have some self-control and watch this and don't watch those. But I want to tell you something, folks. There's a reason, I heard somebody say this one time, and I found out how true it is. There's a reason TV shows are called programs. <laughs> and we become addicted to it. 
And, and, and I, as I was thinking about this message and putting this together, I thought about this. What is it in my life, and I'm challenging you to do the same, what is it in my life that causes me to, to get away from the message of the cross, to get away from the teaching of Scripture? What entices me away from that? Is it what I watch? Yes. Is it what I listen to? Yes. You know, I, I'm also, I love Merle Haggard. I love to listen to Merle Haggard. And I was going somewhere the other day, and I was listening to Merle Haggard, and his song came on. I think I'll just stay here and drink. And I thought to myself, you know, that song just glorifies God so much. I'm being sarcastic, you know. And I thought, why am I listening to this? But you understand the point that I'm making here? And, and Paul is saying to these Corinthians, he's saying, look, that may be the normal out there, but it can't be the normal in here. We are called to be set apart. We are called. God has called us out of the world. Jesus told his disciples, and he says to us, you are in the world, but not of the world. And what he meant by that was you still live here, but don't be like them. And you know what's going to happen? You know what happens when... You begin to not live like they do. You know what happens when you begin to biblically condemn what they do? They're going to hate you. You're not going to be popular. You know, we, we, we think that we go out, you know, and there was a time, this was probably true, that you could go in someplace, I could go in somewhere and say, yes, I'm a pastor. And I mean, they would just shower me with, you know, free food, free all this. You know, you're a pastor. Now, it's getting to where... You tell somebody you're a believer, a pastor, or a Christian, or whatever, and you're treated with disdain. You're treated with hatred. But you know what? That's a good thing. <laughs> Did you know that? That's a good thing. Because if they hate me, that means I'm not like them. Jesus said, if you were of the world, they would love you. But because you're not of the world, they will hate you just as they hated him. Paul is basically saying to these in Corinth, he's saying, look, you, you, you are guilty of all this sexual immorality. He said, repent of it. Come back to the Savior. Come back to the cross. Begin to live like those who belong to Christ. He's telling the church in Corinth and he's telling us, stop living like the godless and start to live like those who are godly and let us Keep Scripture alone as our authority. Not what the culture demands. You know, I, I have watched and seen so many of these, and, and, and I'm not angry at them. I feel sorry for them. These people who say, you know, I'm gay, and you will accept it whether you like it or not. Well, no, I won't. You know, I, I identify as a man even though I'm a woman, and you will accept it. They are demanding that we accept it, but we will not. But you see, as a church, we have to be on the guard. We have to constantly be diligent, all of us, not just me as a pastor, but all of us, that when we see worldliness and immorality creeping into the church that we point it out, we, we deal with it. This is what Paul's telling them in Corinth. He says, you've got to deal with these things. He says, the purpose of the church. Do you know why we sit here as a chapel? This church particular. You know why we're here? So that we have a place to come and sit down together and worship. No, that's not why we're here. 
Now, that's part of what we do. But we are here. God put this building with these people in this place to go and preach the gospel, to go and proclaim the message of Christ. When we don't do that, we're being disobedient. But we must understand that to get that together, we must influence them, not them influencing us. And that's what Paul is telling the church at Corinth. He's saying, look, it's okay to be single. It's okay to be married. He said, if you're single, give it everything you got. He said, but look, if you have no self-control, get married. Find you a wife or a husband. He says, if you're married, he says, let that marriage be everything God intended for it to be. He said, you can still glorify God. He said, don't look down on one or the other because they're this or because they're that. He says, each has their own gift from God. He said, and then you will put away all this immorality and become a force for God and the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you have given us the gifts that you've given Father, for that one here that's listening that may be single, may they understand, God, that you have gifted them. That, Father, you, they can be used of you. For that's the, those ones who are married, Father, that we might understand the importance of husbands loving their wives and wives being in submission to their own husbands. Father, that we might be obedient to your word in every way. May we as a church determine together, Father, that we will not allow the world and the culture to dictate who we are and what we do, but that your word alone would be our rule and authority. We thank you for your word. And Father, may we, in this godless culture that we live in, this pornographic society that we live in, determined to live in this world as those who are set apart, of those who belong to Christ, to be obedient regardless of the cost. But we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.